Well, good morning. It is good to be here uh, to spend this time uh, of worship with you on this Sunday, uh, to gather with you as a church. Uh, it's been good to spend time in fellowship. We've enjoyed uh, some of the hospitality already, a couple of, of meals together with some of your church family. Uh, so thank you uh, for that. And then we do look forward to tonight uh, sharing a bit of an update and just engaging with you as a church, uh, answering any questions you might have about life and ministry uh, in the UK. Uh, before we turn our attention to the Word, I do want to highlight a couple of things. Uh, we do have new prayer cards, so I noticed the ones out on the board there. Uh, we apologize, they're seven or eight years old, so we do have new ones. Uh, my wife has a stack of those, and I think they're actually on a table out back as well. Uh, so feel free to grab one. We'll leave the stack here after we leave. Uh, we also have a newsletter that we send out uh, every quarter, highlighting what's gone on over the last couple of months and some things coming up in the months uh, ahead. And so if you would like to receive that, uh, my wife does have a sign-up sheet for that. Just put your email address on there. Uh, We'll get that sent out to you. And then also throughout the year, when we have special events and things like that, we'll send out a a prayer request and then an update the following day on on how that went. So if you would like to be a part of that, uh, do see my wife and get signed up uh, for those newsletters. Uh, But if you do have a Bible, I invite you this morning to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. This morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. And as it's Shows on the screen here, we're going to consider the theme of a gospel heart of Jesus. The gospel heart of Jesus, and hopefully something that all of us are growing in, uh, not only as a church, uh, but as individuals as well. Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. Let me read these verses for us, and then we'll work our way through this text uh, as we consider this theme of a gospel heart of Jesus. Mark 5. Verse 1, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And we had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with, do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he answered him, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. He also begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. (coughs) And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, "'Go home to your friends.'" And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. 
He departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Uh, This has been the reading of God's Word. I wonder this morning if you find it difficult uh, to engage non-Christians about Christianity. Do you find it challenging when you have gospel conversations with non-Christians? Uh, to share of the, the hope that you have within? Is it a, a, a challenge to confront error with the truth of God's Word and God's wisdom? I imagine for all of us in this room, this is an area of our Christian life where we would say that we really do need to work on, that we struggle with at times, that we find difficult in our relationships and engagements with people. There are many of of reasons for feeling this way. I think for the most part, it's that we live in a world that is not only indifferent to the gospel, but at times hostile towards the good news, towards the gospel, towards God's truth. And if it's not hostile, at least it is one that is increasingly not wanting to hear the gospel. You may have seen at the beginning of this year a report came out of England. It went international. Uh, They released the census data from 2021. And at the beginning of, of this year, they released the information regarding Christianity in that country. And in England in 2021, it was the first time in record in over a thousand years that less than half of the population identified as Christian. Over the course of 10 years, that number went from 59% to 46%. A recent study this week was released by Oxford that England is the fifth most non-religious country in the world. And the first four are Western countries. And It's no secret that here in the West, just like in England, there is a growing resistance to the Christian faith, to the message of the gospel, to the life and work of Jesus Christ. And and I imagine that we all feel that this morning, do we not? We feel this in our conversations with people. Maybe you experience this in your own relationships with with friends and family, uh, work colleagues at school. Uh, we, we feel this in the reading of the news and the stories that entertainment is telling us in the messages that we find in advertisements. The ideologies that are increasingly anti-Christian are sweeping through society. And as Christians, we can find it difficult in this cultural moment, in this cultural environment to engage with Christian truth. Now, for us as Christians, we have a great blessing. We have a great blessing even when living in days like today. We have the Word of God. We have the the Scriptures, which are not only a fountain of truth for our spiritual life, but it's also a book packed full of examples of Christians who have lived in moments just like ours. And so as we venture into this modern secular age, packed with its many challenges, we can turn in our Bibles to stories, to real stories, real examples where Jesus, the disciples, and the early church engaged a resistant and hostile world with the gospel. 
Now, if we look at uh, Mark chapter 5 here, verses 1 through 20, it's a passage that is packed full of rich doctrine, of glorious truths about the Lord and Savior. And we could spend weeks working through these verses. But for our time this morning, I want us to lean into the example that Jesus sets here as he engages a hard-hearted sinner, as he engages a moment of ministry that is full of hostility. And it's my prayer that as we explore this story, that we would be challenged in our own gospel engagements, that we would be equipped to minister the gospel in a place just like this, and that we are encouraged knowing that it is Jesus Christ who is at work, and that we as God's people have the tremendous privilege of proclaiming this great news. So for our time, I want us to consider three things from this moment in ministry of Jesus Christ for our gospel engagements in the world today. Three things to consider from this example of Jesus. The first thing to note is mankind's greatest problem. We have to recognize mankind's greatest problem, the problem of sin. Now, it's no secret that this is an area of biblical truth that most people do not like, right? We don't like the word sin. We don't like what it means. In fact, I don't like what it tells me about myself. And yet as you read Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, as you listen to the teachings of Jesus, as you read the letters of the apostles, sin is foundational to a proper and complete understanding of the gospel. A simple definition for sin that we use at our church is that sin is a rejection of God and a rebellion against His Word. A rejection of God and a rebellion against His Word. And if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve sin, what do they do? They reject God. They believe the lie of Satan when he asks the question, is God really good? And then what do they do? They disbelieve His Word. They disobey the Lord. And this heart response runs through the Bible. It is the nature of every single human being. Sin is what makes sense of the chaos, the injustice, the suffering, the pain that is experienced in this world. As we look at sin in the Bible, both in its teaching and its examples, sin is destructive. Sin destroys. And we see that here in Mark chapter 5, do we not? In this man's life. For him, sin is not just a theological theory, but a daily reality of devastation. And there's four things to note from this man's life, from this this example of how destructive sin is. First, we see that sin is enslavement. Sin is enslavement. It is being held captive to an all-consuming, oppressive tyrant. And again, do you not see that with this man, right? Absolutely. As Jesus is talking to him uh, there in in verses uh, 6 through uh, around verse 10, we come to see that that this man is is demon-possessed. His heart and his life are held captive by the rule of Satan, And notice how how strong this captivity is. He is possessed not just by one demon, as bad as that would be, but by at least 2,000. This man is enslaved and there is nothing he can do to escape. Secondly, 
Sin breaks the relationships that we were made for. And again, we see that here in, in this example and throughout Scripture. If we go back to Adam and Eve at creation, they were created to, to know God and to joy, enjoy loving relationship with God. But we find that sin destroys that. What does mankind do in the middle of Genesis chapter 3? They, they hide from God. They're driven away from the presence of God, from from the presence of the one they were created to know and love. They were also created to live in community with one another, and and we see sin driving a wedge there. If you turn the page from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 4, what do we read? Brother killing brother. Loving relationship with God and others is what we were made to know, and yet sin breaks those relationships and... That's true with this man here in Mark 5. It's clear that he's far from God. (laughs) Uh, The the lie of Satan, the ways of Satan reign supreme in his heart. There's no loving relationship with his creator. As Paul writes in the book of, of, of Romans, no one seeks after God. That is true of this sinner here that Jesus meets. But we also see how sin drives him away from others. Sin is so destructive in his life that he must live far away from others. He must live in the company of what? The dead. He's living amongst the tombs. His life is marked by being at violent odds with everyone. Sin destroys the relationships that we were intended to know. Thirdly, sin brings a life of darkness. Sin brings a life of darkness. As Adam and Eve sin. One of their first reactions is to run and hide from the glory of God. And throughout the Bible, the glory of God is often described in terms of light. And the Old Testament often speaks of sin in terms of darkness. I think it's why the Apostle John, as he he begins his uh, gospel, he talks about Jesus as the light entering darkness. This visible illustration exposes the spiritual reality of every single sinner living in darkness. And if we were to take a a moment and we were to uh, just imagine being in this place in Mark 5, getting out of the boat and, and interacting with this man, we see that this is a very dark scene. I think if you were to take the most gruesome horror film that we have ever created, that that would pale in comparison to this man's existence. He's far from the light. He's far from the glory of God. He's far from the illuminating truth of God's Word. He's living in darkness. Fourth, we see that death is the outcome of sin. Death is the outcome of sin. And I kind of wonder if this is at the heart of of why we don't like to talk about sin. (laughs) The the reality of death. Although every single person experiences death, it's the one thing that seems so unnatural to us. And why is that? (laughs) It's because we weren't created for death. We were created for life, and yet sin ushers in this horrendous experience. And again, we see that with this man here living amongst the tombs. His his days are spent living with the dead. His actions will eventually bring his physical death. We are told that he spends his day cutting himself with stones. 
And his heart is held captive by the one who will lead him into eternal death. Sin's ultimate destruction is death. Now, if we step back for a moment and we consider what we see here about sin, uh, exemplified in the life of this man, we can't help but notice how serious sin is. That's why we must start with this reality. Sin is destructive both in this life and in eternity. And unless we as Christians really grasp that, understand that, we'll never boldly engage the world with the gospel. If, if God did not see the seriousness, seriousness of sin for what it really was, Jesus would have never come. He would have never met this man. He would have never gone to the cross. And so church, a Christian, we need to see and know the destruction, the seriousness of sin in this world and in our lives. Now along with that, we need not be surprised by what we see going on in the world around us. If we have a proper understanding of sin, then the injustice, the wickedness, the immorality, the false philosophies, they should not surprise us. These are results of the master liar who was lying. These are the results of an evil slave master holding captive those whom he has captured. This is the work of an expert in the craft of bringing division and unrest. So don't be surprised by the presence of sin in this world. We must also recognize that this is the heart of every sinful human being. No one escapes this. Now I know we could say that in Mark chapter 5 that the example of, of this man is a bit extreme. And that is true. My guess is that if we went to the local cemetery here in Beaverton, there is no one running around cutting themselves possessed by a demon today. But the Ultimate destruction of sin in his life is the same in the life of every single sinner. Again, sin enslaves. Sin breaks relationships. Sin is marked by spiritual darkness. Sin's outcome is death. And this, should, this reality of sin should not cause God's people to sort of sit back, and shake their heads in disbelief but rather ready themselves to engage this sinful world with the gospel. And again, that's what God did, did he not? God engaged a sinful world. He engaged sinners with the good news. He didn't shake his head at our sin. He didn't stand back in confusion going, why do they do that? Rather, he sent his son to rescue and to redeem, to bring the message of hope and salvation. And that brings us to the second thing that we see in this narrative. Uh, The example of Jesus as he shows his care and compassion. Jesus' example of care care and compassion. No matter where you turn in the Gospels, I I love reading the Gospels. Uh, Even when Jesus is speaking bluntly to people, the religious leaders, there, there is this foundation of care and compassion for sinners. And if there's one thing that we as modern Christians need as markers in our lives, it is care and compassion for a lost world. Our world is growing more and more in its lack of care and compassion, right? Just watch the news, scroll through social media, listen to when there are disagreements over politics or sports, maybe even the weather, right? People just, we're angry all the time. 
And so we as Christians need to follow the example of Jesus. We need to be different in this way from the world. And here in this story, Jesus teaches us three things about care and compassion. First, Jesus goes to this man. He meets this man where he is. Just take a moment and and look at, just let your eyes glance over chapter 4. Maybe your Bible has headings. And chapter 4, you'll see that Jesus has had a very busy day prior to Mark 5 verse 1. It's been a day of, of preaching and teaching. It's been a, a day of calming a raging storm. And I'm sure that as Jesus, his boat lands on the shore, he's, he's a bit tired from the previous day. Now, if you look at chapter 5, what comes next following this event is a day full of miracles. As well as a day sort of culminating in this gathering crowd, some of who will reject Jesus, some who want Jesus dead, and others who are in great need of provision which Jesus meets. And I know that if I'm Jesus and I'm stepping out of the boat, tired, and trying to prepare for the busy day, and I see this crazy man running towards me, I'm out of there. I'm going to roll my eyes and think to myself, I've got to find something better to do than deal with him. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? What what does Jesus do? He moves towards this sinner. He engages this man. I think this is a real example for us as Christians, particularly living in the world in which we do today. It's a challenge for us to, to ask ourselves, do I intentionally move towards sinners? Do I go where they are, or do I wait for them to come to me? Do I wait for them to step foot into the church building before I will interact with them? Because that's not the way of Jesus. I mean, we just think about Jesus on, on the grand scheme of things. He left heaven and came to earth. Jesus sat down and ate with, with sinners. Jesus stepped out of the boat and into the graveyard. Now, I know that at times this can be incredibly uncomfortable. It can even be messy at times to step into situations like this. But as God's people, we have been called to what? Go. And I think one of the great things about that command of of Jesus is that he's the one who has called us to that, and he's the one who has set the prime example. So we need to to meet people where they are. Secondly, we need to see in this passage that Jesus and his care and compassion addresses the problem. Jesus addresses the problem of sin. So we we not only need to to recognize and and know that the problem is sin, but we need to address the problem of sin. And I love again how Jesus doesn't give this man a list of do's and don'ts. He doesn't call for a simple behavior change. He doesn't say to him, hey, go clean yourself up. And then come and meet me at the temple and then we'll talk. All of that would be impossible for this man. All of that is no good for him in the moment. Rather, Jesus speaks to the heart issue, the heart that has rejected God and rebelled against his words. He's spoken to a man who is facing serious consequences. Jesus recognizes the enslavement and he calls out the demons. Jesus, the Son of God, steps into the life of this godless man. Jesus shines the light of truth into the heart of darkness. This man needs Jesus, the one true God. Without him, left in his sin, there is no hope. 
And so as Christians, as we live in this world, as, as we consider this moment in history, we must address the problem of sin. We, we cannot hide or mask its reality. The most unloving thing to do in this world is to be little sin. What people need is the sin of their hearts exposed for what it is. It's what we needed, right? It's what I needed. It's what Jesus does as he encounters this man and every other person in the Gospels. But we must not only stop there, right? It's it's very easy to point out the wrong in other people's lives. But we need to do more than that. And again, Jesus is our example. And that brings us to the third thing about his care and compassion. That is, he offers true and lasting hope. Jesus doesn't just confront or call out sin, but he deals with it. Jesus does what what no man could do. He does what what the people tried to do but could not do, to, to chain and shackle this man. Jesus does only what God can do. He sets free a slave to sin. And in this narrative, I mean, it's a very dramatic moment. Probably one of those in the New Testament where you're just like, wow. It's kind of like the Red Sea uh, kind of, of miracle, right? Jesus speaks and hell's minions. They, they must listen. They must leave this man. <laughs> they enter this herd of pigs and they run off into in the, to the water and drown. Now, as we look at our world, we, we see a world held by Satan's captivity, do we not? We, we see a world held by Satan's strong grip. And it may not be as visibly horrific as seen here, but I'm gonna, here to tell you that it's just as serious. And as we've been called to go, like Jesus, to meet sinners where they are and to share with them the hope of the gospel, we must proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the rescue and deliverance, forgiveness and restoration. We are to call people to run to Jesus, to repent of their sin, and to believe, to place their faith in Him alone. And the real challenge for us is that as we look at the world around us, it can at times frustrate us. And probably not just at times, but probably almost all the time. Frustrate us, challenge us, make us angry. And we stop there. And I think we should be angry at sin and its devastating consequences. But we cannot allow that to damper our care and compassion and boldness in declaring the good news, the hope, the salvation, redemption found in Christ. Again, what does Jesus exemplify in this text? Just that. What does he exemplify on the cross? What does he exemplify in our own lives? A hatred of sin and a love in saving sinners. And may we have a heart just like Jesus to to be bold and confront sin, uh, but also to offer hope, to be faithful in proclaiming the good news. May care and compassion be marks of our gospel ministry. Thirdly, we, we find in this example that there is gospel confidence found in Christ's authority. Gospel confidence found in the authority of Jesus Christ. We, we've already mentioned Jesus does only what God can do, right? He speaks, the demons listen, the man's life is transformed. <laughs> this is a, a powerful story in the Bible. Christ has absolute authority. 
And as we think about the challenge that it is to engage the world, we must recognize and hold fast to this marvelous truth. Because it is here that we will find gospel confidence or confidence in gospel ministry. We have to recognize that our salvation is fully the work of Christ in us. The response to any gospel proclamation that we make is the work of Christ in and through his people. We do not step out into this world on our own. We don't go with our own message on our own feeble strength with our finite wisdom. But we rather step into an indifferent, uninterested, maybe even hostile world with the power of Jesus Christ in the gospel. What does Jesus tell his disciples just prior to to giving them the great commission? He says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to who? To me. This means that that the power of the spoken word here in Mark chapter 5 as Jesus transforms the life of this man is the same power when we preach the gospel. There is power in the word of God. It is alive and active. It cuts through the deepest heart of stone. It pierces the darkest soul. When the gospel is preached, there is real and true power. This also means that as we offer hope to the world, it's not a limited hope. It is an eternal hope. It is grounded in the power of Jesus Christ. And if you keep reading the Gospel of Mark or towards the end of all four Gospels, we find that the power of Christ is not only the one who freed this man from a legion of demons, but it's the one who went to the cross, who bore the wrath of God, and who was raised from the dead. It is the power of the one who conquered sin, death, and hell. And so if our confidence comes from anything or anyone else other than Jesus, guess what? Our confidence will be shallow and weak. It will flounder as we engage a world bent on resisting Christianity. Our lack of of confidence will ultimately keep us away from the people who desperately need to hear the good news, who we have been called to go. If you're struggling in this area of personal evangelism, if maybe you're sitting at work and you're starting to get nervous because the conversation's moving towards a gospel conversation, remember who it is that you proclaim. Remember who it is who is truly at work. It doesn't mean that the encounter will be any easier. In fact, it might even be more difficult and challenging as truth is proclaimed. But we can step into that opportunity with great confidence that it is God who is at work. Now, I love the end of this story. Uh, This man's life has been transformed. And we read in the text that his, his absolute desire is to follow Jesus. We read in verse 18, when he got into the boat, that's Jesus. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. This man wanted to be with Jesus. He was ready to get in the boat and spend every day, every hour with Jesus. But Jesus does something a little bit different here. My surprise is he says, no. (laughs) No, you're not going to follow me, at least not in that way. He says, you will be my disciple, but I want you to go and tell others of the hope that you have experienced. And as you continue reading, it's exactly what this man does. 
We read in the text that he goes through the highly populated area, ten cities, and he began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. And it's kind of interesting, later in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus will actually go to that place. And people there can't wait to hear him. They are eager to meet him. Why? Because of the witness of this man prior to Jesus arriving in this place. As we come to the end this morning, we really need to see our story in light of this story. As stated earlier, the, the seriousness of sin in our own life is no different than the seriousness of sin in this man's life. The amazing work of Christ in his life is the same amazing work in every believer's life. We sang of it, I think, in our third song, I will glory in my Redeemer. The transformation of a heart of stone that happens here is the same in our lives. As the prophet speaks of, we are given a new heart, a heart of of flesh. And so may we as God's people reflect upon all that Christ has done and may we rejoice. May we delight in that rescue and uh, salvation. And as we do so, just like this man, may the natural response be to tell others. To boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel to a world that is at best indifferent, increasingly growing in its hostility towards that message. But the reality is that was our hearts. That was our response. As we end, I want to read the words of the psalmist in Psalm 67. Uh, it's a beautiful song which reminds us of the glorious work of, of God's, uh, of the great freedom and the restoration that comes from His grace and mercy in the lives of His people, and the blessing of the good news. And may this song not only be our response the work of Christ in our lives, but it may also be the prayer of our hearts, that as the gospel goes forth, whether it's through the preaching of this church or the witness of the people in this church throughout the community, that others would respond just like this psalm. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage in the Gospel of Mark of an extraordinary transformation of hearts from a sinner to a saint, to one who is bent on resisting you, to one who desires to follow after you. And we thank you that this is the change that happens in every believer's life. And for that, just like this psalm that was read, we are glad and we sing for joy. We praise you this morning. But Father, it is our desire as your people to not only 
obey your command to go, but to recognize the great privilege that it is and to see your great work in the hearts and lives of others. And so may the prayer be, may our prayer be, let the nations be glad. We thank you, Lord, for that work right here in this place, in this church, in this community, for the believers that you have here in this unique place at this unique time. Father, give us boldness. Give us confidence in you and your word. and Help us to have a growing burden for those who desperately need to hear the good news of salvation, the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And may we boldly and clearly proclaim the gospel. Again, we thank you for our time of worship, for your words, and our time of fellowship with your people. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.